It's an amazing week, this amazing season, um, moving toward the cross. And what I've been trying to do is it's, it's so easy to read these stories that are pretty familiar to a lot of us and um, dissociate and, and kind of read through the Garden of Gethsemane and yeah, Jesus went there and he took the disciples, the disciples fell asleep and then Jesus went and he got stood before and in a sense remove ourselves and say, well, if I was there, it wouldn't have been like that. Um, and so I'm trying to help us to go, no, if I was there, I probably would have done exactly that. Um, you have this tension going on that's building, the climax of Jesus' life on earth, that's building between the way of God and the way of men. And, uh, or as Justin Trudeau would say, people kind or something. I'm not sure what the, f- the phrase is right now. It's really sad. Anyway, that wasn't meant to be in there. But Jesus, you know, so Jesus draws, we started off two weeks ago, three weeks ago, talking about Jesus coming into Gethsemane. He's got his disciples, all of them. And then he says to John and James and Peter, come with me. And he has that contending in the garden. And the phrase from that week was, uh, Father, let this cup go from me. And talking about how possibly at that point God's judgment of the, of the sin of humanity began to fall and that Jesus for the first time in eternity began to feel separation from God and the Holy Spirit. And if we could do a picture of it, maybe my picture would have changed from last week where Jesus is coming to the Father and he's saying, let this cup come from me and Satan is standing there and he's got the cross over here and a cruise ship over here. And he says, you can avoid this. And you go, how can you avoid it? And then you, you're there with him and he's got you by the hand. And Satan says, if you let go John, you can go to the cruise ship. If you hold on to him, if you insist on holding on to him, judgment is what has to happen and the cross is where you're going. And so in Gethsemane, Jesus is saying, let this cup come from, be taken from me. I don't want it. And yet at the same time, he's going, but I'm not letting go of John. And I'm not letting go of you. And I'm not letting go of these disciples who are snoring. And I'm not letting go of those other people over there. And I'm not letting go of people who don't even know that I'm in this garden contending right now. Because I'm here for the sins of the world, which means for every single human being, Buddhist, Baptist, Jew, anybody. Because God has no favorites. We're all his children. And we started off by saying when God speaks, he speaks one thing to everyone. He never doesn't change his mind. He doesn't speak different things in terms of deep truths. He speaks the same thing. And what you have happening in Gethsemane and coming into the trial of Jesus is that God is saying something and no one's listening. And so Jesus ends up surrendering. He goes back and forth to the disciples. Can you not watch with me? No, they can't. And eventually he says, it is done. Let's go. And the next week we have him meeting the people who have betrayed him, Judas, who kisses him on the cheek and says, you know, Rabbi, friend almost, and Jesus responds and says, my beloved friend, do what you need to do. You see, love looks like something on earth as in heaven. It looks like something. It's not vague. How can you say you love if you do not love? And so, Jesus 
says, and the, and, and the, the most poignant moment of that, I think, is, is when Peter bravado, you know, bravely, bravely, bravely wields his sword and cuts off an ear, protecting the one he says he's going to protect and love, and he's doing it because that's what he said he was going to do. And Jesus turns around and says, he's already said to Peter once, get behind me, Satan, and he says, put it away. And we talked about it. Peter must have scratched his head and said, I don't get this. You tell us to t- pick up swords, to wear swords. I use it to protect you and then you tell me I'm doing the wrong thing. Because Jesus is really saying you wear a sword so you don't use it. It's easy not to use something you don't have. Because he also said, do you not think that I could have called down from heaven legions of angels to protect me if my agenda was to keep me safe? I could easily get out of this, but you wouldn't be, because as I said, you won't have a hope in hell without me. And so he says to us, and we thought about this, which was, just because you wear a sword doesn't mean God's telling you to use it. Just because you happen to have a particular gift or a particular anything doesn't mean, don't assume that God's saying, therefore you can use it. He might be saying, I want you to demonstrate that even though you could act like this, you choose not to because of me. It's more powerful to see somebody who could do something not do it because of Jesus. And so, Steve the sword was what we thought about last week. And then this week, Jesus is taken off to be tried by the religious leaders. And as I've said many times, this whole dilemma, this whole tension, this whole activity that went on in Gethsemane and beyond was all between people who said they believed in God. It wasn't the Romans. It's you and me. We all believe in God. We all actually sincerely standing for God and we're actually going to crucify God. That's pretty sobering. Saul found that out on the road to Damascus. I can actually believe in God, contend for God and serve God with all my heart and be totally and sincerely wrong. God speaks, but what's he saying? And one of the hallmarks of humility is beginning to say, Lord, am I hearing you? Peace and victory, which we've sung about, never happens in a vacuum. Peace and victory is always manifest between human beings, through human beings, on earth as in heaven. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him, no, this is the, let me move on, that was when he was arrested. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Peter followed him as a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Peter had a lot of courage before he denied, you know, he was amazing. And he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Yes, he did say that. But they totally misinterpret what he said. You heard the joke about the Pope landing in New York and somebody said, Are you going to the red light district, Pope? The Pope looked up and said, is there a red light district in New York? 
next day in the, the headlines of the paper was first question Pope asked on landing in New York is is there red light district here? In other words, everything can be taken out of context and used in all kinds of ways. And what is meant to be said and meant to be heard is not heard because it's not said in the helpful way. And what I want to actually unpack this morning is this whole area of communication. Because what you have around the garden, what you have when Jesus is standing on trial, is a lot of people communicating or not communicating. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence. They had an agenda. You have Peter who's going to break his promise and he's going to, he's going to weep bitterly in the garden. Judas, who's had a revelation of something and he's denied Jesus. And then Jesus later on is going to go before Pilate who does a political dance trying to say, is he God, isn't he God, what's he saying, is he the Messiah? And eventually he says, I don't find anything wrong with this man. Everyone's asking questions. Jesus stands before them as I am the way, the truth and the life. How do you know what's the right question and what's the right answer? So, one of the things just to, to think about <coughs> is, is how, 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 do, how many questions do you ask? How do I ask? The Sadducees were asking questions to trick and to trap. They already had a conclusion. They already had an agenda. They already decided what they needed. They didn't want Jesus interfering with their lifestyle and with their whole religious outlook. And so they were, they, they were hell-bent on asking questions that would enable Jesus to be entrapped in order to be convicted according to their paradigm. Do we do that? They brought out false witnesses which are people who agreed with them or maybe were intimidated by them. And you notice that Jesus, for most of this, was silent because there was no point in speaking. Sometimes there isn't any point in speaking. If our minds are closed and our hearts are closed, there's no conversation to be had. And our minds only remain open and our hearts only remain open when we actually acknowledge the reality that maybe I don't have the whole truth. And none of us have the whole truth. You could actually turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have the whole truth. And as soon as you don't have the whole truth and you're willing to acknowledge it, you begin to go, well then, how can I grow? Or Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. And part of humility is being curious. And part of learning together is learning to ask questions and to listen to answers. And part of learning to listen to answers is learning to say, Lord, where I'm wrong, please show me. Because I don't have to be right. I just want to know what you... It's easy to say, I worship Jesus the way, the truth and the life. And he says, well then, why don't you let me tell you the truth? Well, I don't like the truth coming through you. And I don't like the truth coming through you. So what Christians do when they're very dysfunctional, which is all of us, is we say, I'm just praying about it. And then I'm going to get the truth downloaded, anointed from heaven to me in all its fullness, which is dumb. Because God isn't going to reveal all truth to you in all his fullness without reference to anybody else. He only did that with Jesus. 
You can't put pure things in all its fullness into an impure container with an impure pure mind and heart. They're in the process of being healed and cleansed and if you died like that, they'd all be gone. Yes, I get that. But one of the biggest things that's destroying the church is that we, I don't think, ask enough questions. <clears throat> we have conclusions we often made, we arrive at way, way, way too early. There's an article, and I'm, I just really want to go through this, and I'm totally taking this from somebody else, by a business guy called Michael Hyatt, who said, asking more powerful questions. And he says this, When I started out in my career, the key to success was having the right answers. If the boss had a question, he expected me to have the answer or know where to get it. It seemed like the ones who advanced in their careers the quickest were those with the most answers. But as I began to ascend the corporate ladder, I discovered that the key to success had begun to shift. It became less and less about having the right answers and more and more about having the right questions. If you're going to be a successful leader, you're going to have to learn how to ask good questions. And he gives seven tips, which I'm going to give you now. First thing he says is ask open-ended questions, which means questions that don't evoke a yes or a no. So they can generate discussion. By asking open-ended questions, you get far more interesting insights. For example, instead of asking, are you happy with your results, you might ask, why do you think you got those results? So the first question can be answered yes or no. The second question invites reflection. Yes and no answers are usually far short of what the real truth is that you're looking for. In business consulting, one of the, way, one of the exercises is you get a piece of paper and you say, um, let's say, how could Jericho Road be more appealing to youth? And you put that up and then you have, give me your answers. What, what, da, 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 da. And we maybe have 15 answers. And I say, Take the best answer that you... What's the best answer out of these 15? Then we put that up on another piece of paper and answer that one. You do that five times. It's called the five whys. And it's all about trying to drill down to say, what is it we're actually talking about? It's a very good discipline. It can be very frustrating. Second one, because I won't belabor these. First is don't ask... Try not to ask open-ended... No, do ask open-ended questions. Not just settle for yes and no. Secondly, get behind the assumptions. This is a huge one. Every business decision is made based on assumptions. If you don't understand these assumptions, you may make bad decisions. It's often helpful to ask yourself first and then your, your colleagues, what are we assuming in this scenario? Then you need to keep peeling the layers off the onion until you get comfortable with the assumptions. This is where people often make mistakes. Their logic may be impeccable, but if it's built on faulty assumptions, it will lead to a faulty conclusion. A very good thing to ask yourselves is, what am I assuming when I'm asking this question? Because like the Sadducees, we can often have assumptions that actually lead us down a wrong path. Because the basis of what we're asking the question from... Um, I mean, if I assume you're a cheat and a fraud, my questions are going to come to you in a certain way. Or if I assume you're out to get me, my questions are going to come in a certain way. They're going to be defensive or they're going to be guided in certain ways. So it's important for us to actually know or, lay, or open up our assumptions and say, I don't want to assume anything. 
Does that make sense? Test your assumptions. Thirdly, get both sides of the story. It's so easy to hear one side of the story, act on the information, and then be embarrassed when you find out that you only have half the facts. Anybody do that? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's easier just to hear whatever I want to hear and then not test it. It's easier to just take one side. A lot of damage happens that way. Ask follow-up questions. Avoid the temptation... This is... I'm terrible. Avoid the temptation to comment on every question. Oh, man, that's hard. There's no need to laugh so loudly, Aaron. Ask a row of questions or one question after the other and listen. Um, Get comfortable with dead air. That means actually don't worry about, let silence be present in your conversations. Give people time. I'm speaking to myself, absolutely. Most people get uncomfortable when things get quiet. They feel the obligation to fill a space with chatter. When you do, you will find that often people volunteer amazing amounts of information if you just give them some time and space. Sixthly, help people discover their own insights. This is for me. One of the best ways to mentor others is to ask them, ask rather than tell. You can pontificate to your subordinates, but your insights will not be as meaningful to them as they are to you. You can accomplish far more by leading them with good questions. And so we'll all be on a, a spectrum here of how, how well we do with different parts of these. Some of, this, of us have perfected silence. We just don't say anything. Like dead air is our life. <laughs> so we all need each other because we'll be good at one thing somebody will be good at opening a topic somebody else will be good at maybe pursuing some questions somebody will be good at listening and hearing beneath the surface somebody will be good at testing assumptions that's why we need each other and we'll all be growing in different areas of this but the importance is understanding that if you want to know God's will we have to actually deal with us and deal with how we communicate and how we listen. And that's what we see in Gethsemane is human beings totally missing what God was doing because it wasn't in their field of reference. And them is us. Understand, this is the last one, understand the difference between facts and speculation. One of my former bosses once told me, make sure you tell me what you know and what you think you know and make sure I know the difference. People make all kinds of statements that they think are based on facts. These should immediately cause your radar to go, radar to go off. Often you will have to ask, do you, know what, do you know that to be a fact? And if so, how do you know? Or can you provide me with a source for that statistical claim? Leadership is less about having the right answers and more about having the right questions. And I just think in this build-up to Easter, we're seeing human beings wrestling with things that are way beyond them and trying to work out how to get there. And then through the cross and through the resurrection, we get God who actually never changes the conversation, just demonstrating who he is, what his truth looks like, what his way looks like. And then as he's moving through it, the disciples begin to be drawn back in to the conversation. 
and they begin to ask different questions and they begin to understand things that they didn't understand before because God's, God's script doesn't change. So one of the best things we can do is say, Lord, help me, as I started off in that psalm, help me to hear what you're saying and help me to hear through my brothers and sisters. Help us to ask questions together. Help us to listen. Help us to challenge our assumptions so that we can actually get closer to something that you might be saying than just defending my particular pet theory on this particular thing. We'll close with a a video that you've seen before, but it's around the question, what shall I do with Barabbas? So let's just be still. We won't stand, we'll just sit and... Is he enough? In the conversations we're having with him today, whatever they are, what's he saying to us? Let's just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Sometimes, Lord, maybe today we have you on trial because we're demanding an answer to something. We know the hallmark of your presence and your peace is peace. We thank you that you have gone to the cross for each one of us. We ask you to forgive us where sometimes we forget that. We, we begin to be entitled. We begin to think we deserve things. and We just say, Lord, here we are. We ask you again to to meet us where we are and we thank you for your cross. But we thank you that all that we've talked about in Gethsemane and all we talk about up to Easter is the love of a God who is jealously, passionately for every one of us. That he looks at each one of us and says, I do not condemn you. I call you by name. And when we've given all our protests and we've given all our excuses about I don't deserve it or I'm not worthy or I've failed again, he just says, I know, that's why you need me. That's why you need a saviour every single day. That's why you need my spirit every single day. I went to the cross for the Sadducee in you. I went to the cross for the Judas in you. I went to the cross for the Peter in you. I went to the cross for every expression of rebellion and unbelief known to man. So nothing can separate you from my love because I went to the cross so that you could receive all that I deserved and I took on the cross everything that you deserve. And that holds true every day, every moment, for all time around the person of Jesus. Lord, we bring you ourselves and just say, Father, is there anything in us that is grieving to you? If there's anything in us that is not your voice speaking, we ask you to give us revelation of that. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us that we might walk in the light together in a way that pleases you and honors you and glorifies you. We give you our assumptions, we give you our opinions, we give you the things that we conclude, maybe without asking enough questions. Come Lord Jesus, we pray.
stand. Just stand and just stand in his goodness, stand in his forgiveness, stand in the hope that we have in him, stand in the confidence of his faithfulness as we said in the song. All his promises are yes and amen. So Father, we stand in the confidence of your goodness for us. We stand in your faithfulness. We stand in the fact that you are working out in us and among us those things that uh, will bring greater life, greater freedom, a greater measure of what it means to walk as the people of God. And we give you all our attempts to do it on our own. We just say, Father, I cannot do it, but I ask you to do it in me so that you can do it through me. Father, create in me a heart of flesh. Soften any part that's hardened. And when you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, as you say to us again, my beloved children, apart from you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Come Holy Spirit.